Welcome to Today on Broadway for Friday, January 12th, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. And I am Broadway AMA's Caitlin Milligan. James, over the next five or six days, we are going to have a pair of Tony winners showing up on Broadway radio shows. First, this weekend, you'll be having the original Eponine Tony winner, Frances Raffel, on this week on Broadway. Um, she's a she's a hoot, man. Uh, <laughs> every interview I've ever heard her do, she is uh, she's really interesting. So I'm sure you guys will have a great time with Francis on Sunday, and then next Thursday we will be having the one and only James. Please try to contain yourself, Tony winner Lena Hall. We've been talking a lot about Lena here lately with her uh, obsessed videos and and uh, EPs coming out. We also talked about the fact that she was cast in the Snowpiercer TV show. So I am sure that we will have a lot to, to a lot to talk about with Lena in a very good 2018 so far for her. Yeah, and also um, Genesessa Fox is going to join us on this week on Broadway on Sunday as well. So yeah, not a, not a Tony winner, but wonderful nonetheless. <laughs> uh, we should give her a Tony. Give her one. Okay. I know a guy named Tony. That's yeah. what I was thinking. Hmm. <laughs> All right. First up in the news, reviews are in for John Lithgow. Stories by heart. Yeah, James. This is one of the weirdest shows of the season because. It's really hard to classify it. It is a one man show, but not so much like what we're seeing with John Leguizamo. What stories by heart is, is John Lithgow telling a couple of short stories intermixed with some personal narrative. The show is um, currently running and will play through March 4th at the American Airlines Theater. And because it's so weird, I think the critics weren't exactly sure what to expect. So we see that the reviews are on both sides of the spectrum for this show. Starting out with Matt Winman from AM New York, he said, as much as one can appreciate Lithgow's elated and elastic theatricality, generous and open spirit and passionate advocacy for the arts, it is not easy to fall in love with the show or even sit through it without zoning out. Sitting to my right was a young girl who spent most of the show with her head down and eyes closed. Not good. However, on the complete other side, Adam Feldman gave the show four out of five stars uh, in Time Out in New York, writing, quote, Lithgow's show is framed in family history, but no skeletons are exposed unless you count the one or count the love of theater he carries in his bones. Ring Lardner's haircut in which a county barber tells a customer about a scandal in his small town takes up most of the first act. Lithgow livens it with deft tonsorial pantomime and a sense of dawning realization on the part of our garrulous narrator. The centerpiece of Act 2 is P.G. Wodehouse's zany Uncle Fred Flits By, a very British comic tale of embarrassment and family tension. It is a quaint and slender tale, more jam than scone, but Lithgow's love of sharing it is infectious. Likeable though the stories themselves may be, the heart of the show is in their telling. Now, Joe Dominowitz of the Daily News goes back to the other side of the spectrum. He said, quote, still, there's something to this scripted quip about being memorable. Lithgow's show is personal and has heart, but it also has a weak pulse. Long story short, the two hour piece directed for the roundabout by Daniel Sullivan makes for a slim evening. 
Finally, Sarah Holder in a vulture kind of balances everything out and says, quote, despite Lithgow's tendency to wax hallmark cardish when he's talking about his stories rather than telling them, he's a sensitive enough performer to know when to move on from the personal, to feel when his audience needs a lift and a laugh. And when he dives into the words and worlds of Lardner and Wodehouse, Stories by Heart is pure entertainment of the most ancient and appealing kind. In his current sojourn in New York City, Lithgow seems to have taken the words of the immortal Uncle Fred, which is the main character in one of the stories he tells, as his touchstone. Quote, on these visits of mine to the metropolis, my boy, I make it my aim, if possible, to spread sweetness and light. So, James, this is one of those shows that I'm going to be really interested to hear what you think when you go to see it. Um, Caitlin, I don't know if you're planning to see it uh, here in the next few weeks, but it's one of those shows that really seems to appeal to different kinds of people, um, depending on what they're looking for in a show. It's not something super splashy. Obviously, the young girl sitting next to Matt Widman uh, didn't get enough excitement and she fell asleep. But it seems like it's a very sweet, old fashioned storytelling show that I think a lot of people will like, even if it's not going to con- you know, contend with the spectacle of SpongeBob or Wicked. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I see it next week, and we'll talk about it, I'm sure, this week on Broadway uh, in, in the next couple of weeks. Um, I, I have not no... I, I don't know what to make of this either uh, going into it, but I'm a fan of his, and, uh, you know, Lithgow... Any chance you can get to see him on stage yeah. and, you know. <laughs> He's great. We'll see what happens. All right. The show and casting news. What do we have? Okay. I'm going to lead off this. This came in just shortly before we started recording, so I don't have a full script. So I'm going to kind of go back and forth between what um, is in the article. But Michael Riedel from the New York Post uh, published a column last night that talked about whether or not Brian Cranston and the new stage adaptation of the movie Network that's currently playing at London's National Theater will make the trip across the Atlantic to New York City. As we've talked about before, Brian Cranston is getting rave reviews in the show. It's directed by Evo Van Hova, and it's a very um, audio-visually intense as you would expect if you know the movie, and it's about a TV network um, production. However, that intensity is what is leading Cranston to be a little hesitant to bring the show to Broadway. Currently, the show is running in rep at the National, so he only actually has to do the show twice a week. He just doesn't know, apparently, if he can do it eight times a week. The show will cost about $6 million, according to Riedel, if it was brought to Broadway. And to make it profitable, profitable, Cranston would have to play at least seven shows a week for at least nine months. Of course, he could do an entire year if he wanted to, doing five or six. But that's a tough sell. Now, of course, Brian Cranston won a Tony for All the Way, which was three hours long. He did that for six months. I mean, he never missed a show. So it'll be interesting to see if somehow they figure out a way to get it across the pond. It is being produced by the National Theater, who is known for bringing its own shows to Broadway quite a bit. But apparently Jeffrey Richards, who is one of the producers for All the Way, um, has a really strong relationship with Cranston. So if it does make it to Broadway, Riedel reports or claims that it's very unlikely that it would happen with Cranston if Richards is not involved. So uh, it's one of those shows that it will certainly be a hot ticket if it does end up in New York. Anything with Cranston is going to be, but I think especially this production of this uh, screen to stage adaptation will be really interesting. Um, will it happen? I would 
I would guess that it will um, because there's money to be made in a great product to bring to Broadway. But um, it's interesting to hear that Cranston is hesitant knowing what the commitment would be to have to do the show more than twice a week on Broadway. Maybe he could uh, split it with with Beth Malone. <laughs> That's very funny. That's very funny. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to see if they did do something like a three and four or a five and two. And if they did get somebody with a decent name, maybe more of a Broadway name, going the route of Bette Midler, who obviously drawed in people who were not just theater folk. Um, and then Donna Murphy, who, while she didn't have near the grosses of Bet, uh, she did okay. I mean, she was banking around $900,000 for the show on a weekly basis. Um, it would be interesting to see if they went that route and got somebody who was more of a theater name to kind of give Cranston a break. That's not a terrible idea. Well, perhaps uh, this next name might be somebody he could split it with. <laughs> it's like Groundhog Day all over again. Yeah. Uh, John Lithgow to lead Carnegie Hall's Candide. Yeah, yesterday, uh, yesterday, Carnegie Hall announced that it's one night only benefit concert performance of Leonard Bernstein's Candide on April 18th will star Paul Alby, uh, Appleby in the title role alongside Aaron Morley as Kunaganda, Patricia Reset as the old lady, William Burden as governor and the aforementioned John Lithgow as Voltaire and Dr. Pangloss. Remaining cast members will be announced at a later date. Gary Griffin will direct and Rob Fisher will be the music director with Bernstein's uh, centennial this year as we've talked about before i imagine there will be a lot of candides around the country and i wouldn't be surprised if a few more stars sign on to them uh depending on where they are i know that there is one in la at the la opera i think later this month that will not only star two-time tony winner christine ebersall but like five gazillion time emmy winner kelsey Grammer. uh so there will definitely be a lot of these with a couple big names happening around the country also yesterday, the Barrington Stage Company announced its complete 2018 season, which will feature three world premieres, including a long gestating musical from Tony Award winners William Finn and Rachel Shankin, a new play by Lloyd Sue, and the first major production of a work from young playwright Rachel Lynette. The first play of the season will be Mark St. Germain, who is a mainstay at Barrington Stage. Um, his new play, Typhoid Mary, will run from May 23rd through June 16th. Then we will have the world premiere of The Royal Family of Broadway, which is based on a play by uh, Kaufman and Hart. That's been in the works from William Finn for a long time. He's now teaming with his 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee uh, co-writer, Rachel Schenken. That will be directed by John Rando and choreographed by Joshua Bergasp and will run for from June 7th through July 7th. The next show will be Becca Brunstetter's The Cake, which we've talked about already, that will be playing out in Los Angeles with Faith Prince. Uh, this production will run from January 20, or from June 21st through July 14th. Then Lucas Hanath's Adult House Part 2 will play from July 12th through July 28th. Then the world premiere of The Chinese Lady by Lloyd Su will play from the 19th of July through the 11th of August. Then West Side Story, I'm sure you're familiar with it, will play from August 3rd through September 1st. And then the world premiere of Well-Intentioned White People by Rachel Lynette will play from August 16th through September 8th. The Glass Menagerie will go August third through or October third through the twenty first, and then finally, Pasek and Paul's James and the Giant Peach will be the youth theater production of the year, and will run from July twenty fifth through August twelfth. There's always so much great stuff that happens at Barrington, um, and it's not unusual to see shows that happen there eventually make their way to New York. And I would imagine that that is the intention for the Royal Family of Broadway. You don't have William Finn. 
uh, do a musical out of town and not at least hope that it comes to Broadway. Obviously, the Little Miss Sunshine show never made it. But, um, yeah, I would imagine that you will see some of these shows at some point in the future in and around New York. And finally, in this section, real quick, last night, according to Baz Bama Boy, we learned that Oscar winner Cuba Gooding Jr., show me the money, will take on the role of Billy Flynn in the West End return production of Chicago. The show is currently scheduled to run for one year at the Phoenix Theater beginning on March 26th. Tickets are now on sale. So I've always wondered this. Do you think the Jerry Maguire story is strong enough, the script is strong enough to make into a stage play? Ooh. Oh, Caitlin, you're a resident screenwriting expert here. What What do you think? Have you ever seen Jerry Maguire? Are you old enough to have seen Jerry Maguire? <laughs> All right. I have seen Jerry Maguire. I know you had me at hello and show me the money, okay? <laughs> mm-hmm. the, hu- the human head weighs 10 pounds. Yes, which I always take into account when I weigh myself. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> also, I thought it was eight pounds, but I could be wrong. Whatever. I could be wrong. I have a very large head. <laughs> but um, I guess I feel like that would be kind of a weird show to make into a musical, in my opinion. Yeah. It, it's got, like, perfect demographics. It's got the love story to bring in the majority of ticket buyers on Broadway with the women that are the ticket buyers. And it's got mm-hmm. a sports angle and things like that that can bring in the guys. Yeah, and th- yeah that it- totally worked for Rocky Das Musical. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking uh, uh, American Psycho. That, yeah, that, that, that on, paper, on paper, <laughs> yeah, on paper well, it was it should have worked, but it just didn't. Sell tickets. Well, you also have to remember there's a scene that's a pretty dramatic scene where Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character, who's a wide receiver for the Arizona Cardinals, um, jumps up to catch a pass, a touchdown pass in the end zone. He ends up getting knocked down to the ground. They think he might be hurt. He's laying there. His family's going crazy um, on TV. Jerry Maguire's telling him, get up, get up, get up. And then he eventually gets up and showboats. I don't know how you would do some of those football-y scenes on stage well i mean they figured out how to do rocky fairly impressively it didn't help the show but um, maybe they could and you know what i think it might actually work well as a straight play uh probably even more than a musical i think oh yeah Uh, no 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 i was thinking straight play i wasn't okay yeah yeah who knows Uh, i mean stranger things have happened that's for dang sure you know how the uh football thing all works puppets Puppets, exactly. Wait, is, that what, is that what you were going to say? Yes, exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> A reflection back to show 1000. So, <laughs> Caitlin's lost. Maybe. Uh, the Angels in America is going to have some sort of puppet thing that we talked about yesterday on Today on Broadway. Oh, really? So, yesterday or yeah. was it 999? It doesn't matter. Wait, Angels in America is going to have puppets? <laughs> yes, it has to do with the angel. Look at it. They did it in London. It's very good. It's very not spoiler, tacky. spoiler, it's spoiler. Very good. Yeah. yeah. Are spoiler they having alert. the Muppets like involved or something? That's Manamana. what I was saying. Da, da, na, na, na. Manamana. <laughs> Manamana. All right. So next up in the news, the O'Neill Theater Center will honor Lin Manuel Miranda this spring. 
Yeah, the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center announced yesterday that Lin-Manuel Miranda will receive the 18th Annual Monte Cristo Award, Miranda's first professional production, as many people know from the lore of the production, was at O'Neill's National Music Theater Conference. It was in the Heights back in 2005. So this is a bit of, of, of a homecoming for Lin. A gala dinner featuring a conversation with Lin-Man will be held at the Edison Ballroom in New York on April 30th. The O'Neill annually bestows its Monte Cristo award on a prominent theater artist whose work has had an extraordinary impact on the American theater. I think Lynn qualifies. The gala event supports the center's commitment to developing new work and new artists for the stage. Tickets are now on sale and begin at $350. I'm so glad people are recognizing the work of Lin-Manuel Miranda. I mean, he gets overlooked a lot. <laughs> well, you know, and Angela Weber I... too. You know, people just don't go see You're... his shows. You're being a little facetious, but <laughs> I really appreciate the fact that Lynn uh, has broken through from our bubble. Um, I think he is a great ambassador for the musical theater, for a new audience, for a new generation. I think the fact that his name is now known and is fairly synonymous with what musical theater can be, not only because of his work with Hamilton, but Moana and um, this coming year, Mary Poppins. I think the fact that he is the standard bearer for a another, what, three, four, five decades of musical theater fans. I do think that's good. And I, I'm totally fine with him getting all the awards. Even if you poo poo it and laugh at it, James, you cynical, cynical man. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, a little uh, theater center in the middle of nowhere in Connecticut, you know. Anyway, uh, what's up in the recommendation section? <laughs> Speaking of cynical, cynical men. So yesterday uh, there was a tweet heard around the theatrical world. It came from uh, a writer, Stuart Heritage, and he had an opinion piece in The Guardian. And his tweet with the link just said, all musicals stink. People weren't happy about that. This has to do with the the new TV miniseries happening with the BBC of Les Miserables. It is not a musical. Um, it is just a, a, of the Victor Hugo book. But let me read you some of what he says in his article. For too long, the worst part of any musical has been the music. All the bloody music swelling up out of nowhere and killing the story dead for three minutes at a time so that some wobbly lipped non-entity can stumble on and warble about how sad they are in rhyming couplets, even though they've already already just said that they're sad. Plus, they've got a sad face. So everyone had already worked out that they were sad ages ago. Musicals are the lowest form of entertainment. And I say this as someone who has spent some of this morning watching a cartoon dinosaur kick a cartoon elephant unconscious on the YouTube Kids app. Maybe the fact that he's equating that uh, to musicals and maybe he doesn't understand how one is whatever, garbage and what's not. Anyway, they have no place in the modern world now that we have speech and emojis. Watching a musical in 2018 is like being made to listen to someone with terrible tastes, automated Spotify discover playlist while they sit on your chest and stop you from leaving their house. I, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't even know what, what happened to this guy who hurt him? Like how can you, like I can understand preferring plays over musicals and not even liking musicals, but how you can say things like this about what to me is the most joyous of all art forms seems ludicrous and seems overly cynical just 
for clickbaity reasons. So I I don't know about you guys, but I to me, this is just a dude trolling for trolling's sake. He probably um, auditioned for a musical in high school or something and got rejected <laughs> and was so heartbroken <laughs> that he sworn off musicals for the rest of his life. Yeah. Laura Dreyfus from Dear Evan Hansen tweeted something like that. She said, hey, it's not our fault that you didn't get cast in your high school production of, <laughs> you know, it's like it's like that, you know, like uh, Sarah Bareilles had a great comment about it as well online. It's just like what it, you know, and there's there's another category for people um, that is not a nice category. It's a category of people who t- openly and publicly delight in taking a poop on something that other people love. You know, those people uh, suck. They just suck. <laughs> you know, I've I've reviewed plenty of things that I don't like, but I never enjoy it. And I never revel in writing about something that I don't like. I it, it, I hate that. But this guy just clearly decided to be a jacknut. Well, if he <laughs> says this again, I'm going to send Norway's F-52s over to bomb his shithole. <laughs> Seriously, why, Juan, we weren't talking politics, James. Um, I don't know what for, you're talking about. I'm not talking about politics. For you millennials out there, you should know that his tweet has gotten quite a decent ratio with 118 comments and only seven retweets. So uh, if you are familiar <laughs> with the ratio, this is a very good example. All right. So that guy's an, an, an unmitigated a-hole. Let's go from that crap to something that made me, I guess we're going to get into politics here, incredibly happy. And that is uh, our friend Tony winner Laura Benanti returned to The Late Show with Stephen Colbert as Melania Trump last night. And it is pure perfection. She has a little dance in there. She almost makes out with a cheeseburger and thanks it for its service. Um, it's very, very <laughs> funny. She's so good uh, at this. And again, like Lynn, obviously to a lesser degree, I am so happy that after all of her TV shows that ended up not lasting for too long, um, I'm very happy that people are getting a recurring opportunity to see just how damn funny she is. Because even when she's done TV stuff, it hasn't always been in comedies. And and um, even when it is in comedies, she's kind of the straight person. So just to see how hysterical she is. And, of course, Broadway people, we all know that. Um, it's very, very, it's very, very gratifying. I can't tell you what you missed in Meteor Shower. She was so stop, funny stop. in Meteor Shower. I tried. They were all sold out should when I, I was there. Should I try to rush that then? Uh, is it is it still running? Is it just the last week? I guess Wait, what? No, it's it's still running. It, it runs for another week, I think, into the like the twenty first or something. I will tell you, Caitlin. I have heard and everybody listening that on some of the secondary ticket markets, you might be able to get tickets below face value because all the scalpers bought them up early, being the uh, demand has dried up here after the new year. Oh, Just cool. what I heard. I have not confirmed, but that's the word on the street, a.k.a. Broadway World message board. I, well, I, have, would... a fr- I have a friend who saw it for under face value on uh, on StubHub. OK, yes. so I'll look for sure. Yeah. So, so funny. Oh. oh, I mean, I love Laura. I love Amy. I love Keegan. Uh, don't know Jeremy as much, but I've seen him on some TV stuff. But he's great, too. But just those other three alone would. I would have given my kidney to see it if it, there were tickets available when I was in town. Wow. Uh, just great. All right. 
Uh, so, Caitlin, if you go to that, you won't know what's off the stage. So why don't you tell us what is happening off the stage? <laughs> sure, yeah. So starting out, we're going to head out of New York for a couple of things that are happening. First off, back in my home area, tonight, the Tony Award winners, Tommy Toon, Brian Stokes, Michelle, Mitchell, sorry, Cheetah Rivera, and more Broadway stars will honor Tony and Go. Golden Globe winning leading lady Angela Lansbury at Night of Stars, a Broadway celebration at the Raymond F. Kravis Center for the Performing Arts in Palm Beach, Florida. In addition to performances, the event will include Lansbury being given the Kravis Center's Legend in Arts Award. So if anyone in my hometown area of Fort Lauderdale or West Palm wants to see some Broadway legends, they should definitely head to the Kravis Center. Tonight and tomorrow, Broadway's hottest couple, Tony-nominated husband and wife Andy Carl and Orfe, will perform together in their cabaret show at Feinstein's at the Nico in San Francisco, California. So if any West Coast Broadway fans are looking for a show this weekend, they should definitely head out. And then tonight through Sunday, Betsy Wolf heads west with her fellow star, stage star Jeremy Jordan for a concert with the Seattle Symphony. They'll perform Broadway Today Concert at Benaroya Hall at the S. Mark Taper Foundation Auditorium in Seattle. Stephen Renicki will con conduct the orchestra and soloists in the selections of many famous Broadway songs. Now back in New York, on Saturday, January 13th, is Late Night Broadway at 54 Below, where Broadway performers showcase selections from their solo nightclub shows. Late Night Broadway features people like Tony Award nominee, Eve Noblezada, who will appear on the eve of her show's closing. Two-time Tony nominee Brandon Uranowitz, who will perform his concert of songs by composer William Finn. And then Teal Wicks, Brad Gere, and Michael Mott will share songs for Mott's album, Abandoned Heart. And then on Sunday at 54 Below is the skeevy show Here, There, and Underwear. The briefs club duo of Lauren Molina and Nick Sierra will welcome Nick Adams, Jessica Vosk, Brian Redman and other guest performers to their new cabaret show. And then lastly, on Tuesday, January 20th, on Tuesday, January 16th is Tony nominated actress and singer Jennifer Damiano's return to 54 below with Jennifer Damiano unplugged. The concert features an intimate acoustic take on her journey through her adolescence in the theater world through pop music and the heartfelt musical theater songs that have made her career. Jennifer will be reunited with musical director Benjamin Rahala for the intimate concert in what will be her most personal cabaret show yet. And that's all that's happening this week off the stage. So if you're either in New York or on the West Coast or in Florida, you'll have some shows to see. So I hope you all enjoy it and I'll see you next week. All right, Matt, why don't you get us out of here? All right, thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio, and you can find me on Twitter at BWMAT. And subscribe to Something a Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Caitlin, where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter at, at Kate Milligan, K A I T, though. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for wrapping up the week with us. Uh, this Sunday, we have a uh, friend. Francis Ruffell again and uh, Janet Tessa Fox back on This Week on Broadway and Matt and I will come back and talk with you on Monday. <laughs>